Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audible.com gold. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Katie Rich, the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And this week, we're also joined by a very special guest, Krista Smith, Vanity Fair's executive West Coast editor. Hi, Krista. Hi, everybody. I, uh, we've been waiting so long to have you on. This is very exciting. I'm excited to be on. Good. This week, we're taking advantage of our expert special guest and getting the inside story on award season at this point in the season from Krista. Yes, it is early, but many, many stars are already working really hard for the nominations they hope to receive in the spring. From there, we'll look a little bit further ahead, but not quite so far ahead as the Oscar nominations, to Star Wars The Force Awakens, which really does have a chance of winning Best Picture, according to some of us. Finally, we'll go big before we go home and predict who we think will win Best Director this year. So, Krista, you've been with Vanity Fair for many years, and you've been an up-close witness to basically every step of award season. You're doing these interviews at the Sundance and Toronto Film Festivals, and then, of course, you're at the Vanity Fair Oscar party at the end of it. Um, and so you've collected a lot of really great stories at this point. So mm-hmm. what we want to hear from you is all the insider stuff that we hear about from you, basically, and then we talk about as if it's our own stories. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but from what I think what I want to start by quizzing you about is like what you're hearing at this point in the season right now. Like, who are you seeing working really hard? Who is bending your ear about whose performance? What's the what's the buzz in Hollywood at this exact moment? Well, it all starts kind of in the summer. Uh in prep for Toronto, I see, this year I saw, I think in August alone, in the last two weeks in August, I saw 52 hours of film. <laughs> so I have gotten really used to seeing movies at 10 a.m. alone in the dark and trying to gauge, you know, how these performances are going to go and, you know, stretch for six months all the way into the end of February. Yeah, that six months thing is what's really interesting because you're seeing these in August and you're going to say, oh, I bet that people will still like this movie in February, which is a really hard thing to know. Right. But I think the most interesting thing that uh, happened at Telluride and early on with Toronto, because those festivals are back to back, was everyone was talking about two two films and one was Jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, oh my God, Jobs, 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 Jobs. And I think because we'd been hearing about it for 
almost a year, obviously, with the Sony leaks. We'd kind of heard too much about it, uh, but there was a lot of high anticipation for it. And I know when it screened in, in Telluride, it was like stampede to get there and, and be the first to see it and talk about it. Um, and that's one of the movies I'll be really, really curious to see how that goes down the stretch because it's disappeared. Uh, It kind of came and went. Well, it kind of bombed, let's face it, uh, when it came out, right? Well, I wouldn't. I hate to use that word "bombed," but you know, I live in Hollywood here, Mike. So we, we, we stay away from those words. Admit I mean, that I it know bombed. You and, <laughs> you and New York like to throw those around. Let's just say it didn't. It, it didn't grab a hold of the way people thought it would. And there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking with that. Should they have held it? Why it was supposed to come out on the ninth, but then they pushed two weeks? Should they have done it closer to Christmas? You know, so now everyone kind of talks about it because well, the one thing that no one can deny, whether you like the movie or you hate the movie, and it seems to be really polarizing, you can't deny the performances. You can't deny Michael Fassbender, Seth Rogen, Kate Winslet. So I will be really interested to see if that you know, gets nominations. Well, and I have a question about that, Krista, because the, yeah. you mentioned polarization. And do you think that that uh, an Oscar winner usually is the one that has the biggest consensus of people who like it, or is it the one that inspires the most passionate uh, followers, or can it be both? Well, I think that uh, when you're talking about winners, I don't think I, I don't think anybody's ever said I hated that movie that won. You know, other than I, what was it? Paul Haggis with Crash, Crash said that shouldn't have won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, so I, I think that generally the best picture winner has the consensus, and I think that something like Jobs is not going to be a best picture winner. Uh, but I do think it could get into that ten, you know, best picture list. And I think that Michael Fassbender certainly proved himself as a great actor. And, you know, he's beloved. Directors want to work with him. Actors want to work with him. What's the the view of Michael Fassbender among people who are just hanging out, you know, who know lots of movie stars? Because he's he's an interesting guy. He's an eccentric guy, right? But but do people like him personally? Well, he's eccentric because he doesn't like publicity. (laughs) Which is hard in an Oscar (laughs) campaign. You know, I mean, let's let's you know, let's define that. I mean, basically, he is not someone that is ever going to campaign. He's not going to go to a to a brunch. He's not going to go to the old folks' home. He's not going to do that whole circuit. It's just, it doesn't suit him and his personality. So uh, I think because of that, there's probably a lot of respect because he lets his performances speak for themselves. Krista, who would you say right now is the best campaigner, either an actor or a, or a director or just a film? Like, what? Who is running the best campaign right now? Well, it's just started, actually, Richard. I mean, it, these crazy things called the Hollywood Awards mm-hmm. uh, were just last weekend, and that I. I've been fascinated by this award show. They tried to televise it last year, and I guess it didn't really go well. But part of the reason why they got everybody there was because it wasn't televised. And it had they had this really uncanny knack of getting it right way back in, you know, as early as October of who was going to get nominated. So that to me is always the start of the campaign, and that just happened. So I think right now my bet, for best campaign and winner would be Leonardo for best actor, if we're mm. talking about that race. And that really hasn't even started yet. 
but I feel like it started. He's doing a, he's doing something with SAG. I've noticed that his, you know, they made a big announcement about, you know, all the charitable stuff he does with the environment. I mean, I think they're really getting towards, you know, presenting Leo as like, listen, it's time for him. And, and what's do. Leo like in a room when you see him with a group of these folks? I mean, have you seen him kind of doing this circuit, pressing the flesh? Is he somebody who's who's at ease with this or is it does it come not that easily to him? Um, I think that he is someone that, you know, he grew up in the Valley. Like this kid, he, he knows, he knows how to do it. And he is a movie star. I think that there are certain people that don't necessarily want to see him on another yacht in Saint-Tropez with another gorgeous, you know, model. But when he walks in a room in Hollywood and if he is dressed up, there's his, his charisma is undeniable. Right. But it's not like the Eddie Redmayne, like he's your new best friend. He's he's like he's Leo. He's at the party. He's he's glowing. And you kind of feel excited to have been in the presence of greatness. Exactly. And also, it's just the body of the work. I mean, someone like Eddie Redmayne comes on, and everyone's so pleasantly surprised. He's perfect manners. He's he's real. He's talented. And he feels like, oh, we've discovered Eddie Redmayne. I mean, you know, Leonardo, we've grown up with. We're proud of him. Look what he's done with his career. Look at who he is. Look at the filmmakers. He Look at his choices. I mean, it's, too, it's kind of apples and oranges. Krista, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast, and I think is a lot uh, hard for people who aren't in Hollywood to understand, is that these campaigns are so important. And there's so much that goes into someone winning an Oscar that isn't about the performance. But then you also mentioned body of work, and there is an element of performance to it. Do you think that people overestimate how important this campaigning is, or is it really like the thing that makes all of this go? I mean, it certainly makes all of the red carpet go and all of the award show. And I do, you know, the cynics always say, oh, it's a popularity contest. Um, And I will say that if you are well-liked and, you know, everyone was rooting for Eddie Redmayne, it definitely is on your, you know, that's on your side. Mm -hmm. But also Eddie Redmayne's performance was what got him there. But Eddie Redmayne's performance was amazing. I don't I don't think that you get it just because you're super well-liked. You know, I don't think that that happens or else, in my opinion, you know, what what happened last year with Foxcatcher, I thought Channing Tatum was amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he is one of the most likable guys in Hollywood. Everyone loves him. He's a really great, genuinely a really great guy. And he turns in a performance. It's very much the opposite of what everyone's been used to seeing him and and arguably, you know, a great performance. No one no one could say, "Oh, he wasn't good in that movie. He was great." But he actually didn't get a nomination because I don't think the Academy was ready to give it to him. Well, that's like the body of work thing, right? Because yeah, part of it's like, well, exactly. because he played a stripper and he was in the Jonah Hill exactly. high school movie you right. know, 5 you, seconds you, ago. You can't and that's the same thing which will be really interesting with Adam McKay not to jump ahead, but mm. The Big Short is one yeah. of these movies that everyone's talking about. It's got, you know, Katie, your ex-husband, Ryan Gosling in it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a lot of chatter about that. Michael Lewis, a, you know, frequent uh, contributor to Vanity Fair. It's based on his book. Uh, uh, the buzz on this is this movie is a very good film, very solid, great performances. But are they actually going to ever nominate Adam McKay, who directed Anchorman or, or an, you know, stepbrother? And the answer would probably if be no. Yeah, there's a kind so, of certain snobbishness in, in in within the Academy where it's it's you can't be Adam Sandler in a hundred moronic movies and then make you know Punch Drunk Love and expect to be taken seriously as a serious actor. Well, I don't think it's it's articulated quite as clearly as as you're doing that you know as you're saying, Mike. But I do think <laughs> that there yes, there is an undercurrent. I mean, just look at David O. Russell. 
That's true. Well, he kind of transformed the kind of movies he was making, and then right, and but he's yet Oscar he's never been juggernaut. nominated. And you know, look at just what he did with American Hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, that movie came on late, but every single one of those actors in those movies got a best supporting, best actor nomination. Is he also? Does he also have a personality issue though? I mean, he's a very notorious. We've all heard the tapes of him kind of freaking out. I mean, is that is that part of it too? That they don't want to reward this sort of over the top behavior. I think all directors have personality issues. You know, I think you could find that with anybody. We're obviously going to pick your brain a lot throughout the season, but what I kind of want to know right now is what's the narrative you're seeing coming? We're all used to these award season narratives where it's like Argo versus the Hurt Locker and 12 Years a Slave, and there's something that takes over the season. And is there anything you're predicting that's going to just dominate the conversation that maybe we're not looking at yet? Uh, well, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see the best actress uh race, uh, because you're going to have Kate Blanchett in there for Carol, uh, for sure. And I think you're going to have Brie Larson in there for Room. And I think you could have Sheer Saronan in there for Brooklyn. It could be this like brand new faces versus some faces that have won before and are tried and true. And I'll be really curious to see if the Academy gives it again to Kate Blanchett, who has won, you know, she won for Blue Jasmine just a year ago. And then she also won uh, Best Supporting for The Aviator. So it'll be interesting to see if they want to reward her again. And that would be three Oscars. Or if they want to go in a direction and and give it to someone that's young and just kind of starting their career. We could kind of look at it as a flip of last year, whereas Julianne Moore, with the resume and the decades of work, um, won, you know, finally her award. And then Redmayne came in and maybe this year we'll switch it. So DiCaprio wins for the resume and the decades of work. And then Brie Larson maybe comes in and is kind of the newbie if they want to balance it out that way. Correct. Or also, well, I'm just waiting for the hateful eight. I mean, everyone, Jennifer, Jason Lee, that is the sweet spot of the Oscars right there. Uh, a journey woman actress. I mean, Fast Times at Richmond High, which is my gone with the wind. OK, let's just all admit <laughs> that movie. She's amazing. And, you know, what an incredible career she's had. And she's the only female in this movie and apparently incredible. So that's also one of those things where she could pop up and, and people give it to her because she's never been nominated before. Before, and it could be her moment. And that movie just won one of those Hollywood awards, didn't they? The the, the Best mm-hmm. Ensemble Award. Mm-hmm. So that's probably mm-hmm. a good start to that. Right. It is a good start. And Sheer Saronin won Best uh, you know, Newcomer Award. Yeah, you, know, you, you see it. I mean, it is kind of crazy. But the, the real true campaigning that you're, they're talking about, uh, Katie, it hasn't quite, it's just starting to get going. Well, then we'll have to check in with you again in a well, month or two uh, and bef- see how crazy before it's gotten. We, yeah, before we move on, I do have one more question. Are you still holding with that Will Smith prediction? You think he's going to get nominated? You know, I think Will Smith, you know, Christmas Day. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it's that late entry and he's incredibly popular. He's also taking on the NFL. So you have to imagine that a movie like this is like a Donald Trump is going to get a lot of free press because it's going to be a topic that everyone's, you know, everyone is going to be addressing. The film's called Concussion, by the mm-hmm. way. For right. People it's called Concussion, home. and it's Sony, and it's their big movie. So they are going to definitely do a lot of campaigning uh, behind it or, uh, you know, a lot of promotion. And I'm sure Will Smith, I mean, he's a great interview. He's great on all the talk shows. He'll be out there. And also the NFL is, a, is in itself, it's a monster. So it'll be monsters in terms of all of that it covers. So I think that all the news organizations, everyone's going to be discussing this, that um, I think we'll give it more even more momentum. And Jaden Smith's Twitter, hopefully, will also help. <laughs> I don't know how many he's up to yet. <laughs> the first ever tone poem Oscar campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it would be credible. But what I like about it is I, I love seeing all, as someone that still gets excited by this stuff, uh, you know, decades later, I love seeing all the, the movie stars coming together. You know, I would love to see Johnny Depp get in there and Michael Caine get in there. You know, someone like, you know, Michael Caine, who told us in Toronto, had been nominated for an Oscar in every decade. Wouldn't that be great to see someone who's 80 there, uh, you know, with the sheer Ronan, who's 20, and these yeah. big names and faces that we all recognize. Um, and by the way, if you're listening at home, go to video.vanityfair.com. You can see Krista interview basically everybody we're talking about here yeah. mm-hmm. uh, right there. And then I have two words I don't want you guys to forget about one other thing. Okay. And that's Star Wars. Well. Good segue. Good segue. There are stories about what happened. All of it. Well, Krista, another reason we brought you here is because you've been making the bold prediction that Star Wars isn't just going to be an Oscar contender, it is going to win Best Picture. <laughs> and it's if you know your history, you know that's not the craziest thing to say. The first Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture but didn't mm-hmm. win. Uh, but I do think there's this sense that the Oscars and sci-fi don't get along. You know, Gravity was one exception, but 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of famously got blanked. People don't know if The Martian's going to be able to pull it off. But Star Wars is this huge movie coming our way. It looks really, really good. So why should people be thinking it's going to win an Oscar? Well, in all the movies I've seen, I don't feel like I have seen the best picture winner. And usually by this time, I, in years past, I feel like I've seen it. And then it's just up for debate. But I don't feel that we're there yet. And there's there's two big movies coming down the pike, and one is The Revenant, and the other is Star Wars. This little film that could, <laughs> you know, that's basically taken over the universe at this point. It's crazy and how much it's already taken over, and it's still it's just too taken much over. I mean, I see it with my kids that you know are young. My, I have two young boys, and I just feel like it could be the whole reason that the Academy went to ten pictures as opposed to five was to include movies that people actually see. And Star Wars is going to be one of those movies. And it could hit that sweet spot of 8 to 80, you know, where people are, everyone goes and sees this movie, everyone loves this movie, and it kind of gets in there for best picture. It doesn't well, get best I, actors or any of that, but it could get a best picture. Well, I can even throw in a slightly controversial uh, point, which is that I think that there's only one of the six existing Star Wars movies that is both enjoyable to watch and technically um, a good film, which would be Empire Strikes Back. So mm-hmm. if J.J. Abrams actually made a film that's like incredibly expert and is as fun to watch as those first two Star Wars movies mm-hmm. and takes Correct. over the whole world, I mean, that that could actually be almost unprecedented at this point. And with Correct. 10 uh, Best Picture nominations, which there obviously weren't in the 70s. When everyone wants it to be great, there's this sense that it can like, kind of make up for the prequels and that it can be this return to the glory days of the 70s. And I think if it is, if, if it's not even great, if it's pretty good, I think that level of enthusiasm could carry it in that way. Because, you know, if not this blockbuster, then I guess Mad mm-hmm. Max is really the only other option of like mm-hmm. a big summer, maybe Inside Out, which is kind of a different category. But that enthusiasm, that popular enthusiasm and coming so late in the year when everyone is getting their ballots that 
could kind of carry it through. Yeah, as a as a dedicated Star Wars nerd when I was a teenager, <laughs> I mean, I read all the books, all the stuff that is now not canon anymore now that these, <laughs> this new movie is You're coming out. You're not holding out. it against them? Yeah, well, I don't know. Sacrilege. I haven't decided Blasphemer. Yet. But I think that's that's a good que- way of putting it, Katie, you know, holding it against them. You know, we had these three prequels that everyone kind of, I mean, not everyone, but, uh, you know, you talk to actually little kids now or, t- you know, tweens now, and those movies are pretty great to them and they're, they're kind of their original experience with Star Wars but but I think that I'm so excited for this movie and I, w- I want it to be good that if it's good I'm going to think it's great and if it's great I'm going to think it's the best movie ever made mm-hmm. and I think maybe that sentiment might exist within the Academy to some extent that I don't know I, Krista I don't think that you're that that crazy well, for and you have this could you have a large group of not a huge group not certainly not a majority there's a fair number of people now in the Academy who grew up with Star Wars and think of this as a super important thing uh, versus, you know, some dumb sci-fi movie. Yeah, it has more weight to it than Star Trek because Star Trek kind of continued in series. And, you know, it, it it sort of always existed. Where a Star Wars thing, that's an event okay. that's that's yeah. kind of generation-defining. The last generations was bad, but, you know, maybe this one will be good. And also I think that, you know, we've year after year after year after year, you know, people have grown accustomed to these movies. Uh, you know, maybe one actually might win. The littler movies, maybe people don't see them. And this is a movie that everyone will see. We already know it's sold out. They Remember, they put the tickets online. But I also think another interesting thing over this summer, I was talking to, to studio heads. I happened to be in an event. And everyone was saying how their favorite movie was Mad Max. Mm-hmm. So I think that movie's going to come down the pike and be part of the 10. I also think Straight Out of Compton is going to be part of the 10. Wow. So I think it could be really fun if these movies that – the public responded to actually go down the line and get nominated. Yeah, and Straight Outta Compton just passed $200 million, right, in, wow. in the box office. And, and my, my question for you is, as far as who's in the Academy, we, you know, our kind of joking rule of thumb is they're all, like, you know, 70 years old and living in Bel Air somewhere. But, like, obviously there are many working people. Do you think that there's more people in the Academy who would like to see the kind of movie that people go to get rewarded as a reward for all the hardworking people in Hollywood who, you know, have day jobs? Or do you think there's more people who kind of want to hold the line and say, no, this should be for a certain kind of prestige art film? I I think it's a little both. Uh, of both, Mike. I mean, but I do think that the Academy has certainly gotten a lot younger. Yeah. They've let a lot more people in. It's gotten a lot more diverse. So I, I think that winning is one thing, but getting nominated is another. Yeah. So do I think that a straight out of Compton or, or a Mad Max is, is close to winning a Best Picture? No. But do I think that it could get nominated? Yes. And just to do the math on it, it helps ratings. Oh, yeah. Of course. The Titanic year being the biggest Oscar broadcast ever that they haven't yet Right. So imagine going down the line if we have a Star Wars is nominated and you have Leonardo and Johnny Depp and, you know, Matt Damon gets in there and The Martian gets in there. I mean, you know, that's a really exciting telecast. Damn, one of my favorite Oscar years recently was 2012 when all of these films that don't look like big blockbusters like Silver Linings Playbook, Argo, Lincoln, were uh, grossed over $100 million in the U.S. They were hits, even though they aren't Star Wars. And I think that makes for a better Oscar season when it's stuff that a lot of people are engaged in, as opposed to Birdman versus Boyhood, which are both mm-hmm. really great movies that nobody saw. Mm-hmm. Well, also, like, we, we watched Spectre last night. And when you watch you know, Sam Mendes, the guy from the Donmar Warehouse, like a very legitimate 
director making these films, they're still silly. They still don't make any sense. James Bond still walks for no reason with his girlfriend in a suit into like the villain's lair. But like the <laughs> filmmaking quality is extremely high. Somebody like J.J. Abrams can bring a high quality of filmmaking or, or you know, Mad Max. Like that's an incredible feat of filmmaking a visual mm-hmm. creation you know we're not talking about the kind of like bozo sci-fi stuff that ended up no. on late night tv from the 80s <laughs> no not at all or even I mean, jurassic world which is the year's biggest hit but i don't think anyone is seriously talking about as a best picture contender <laughs> if people start talking about joseph campbell and the star wars narrative <laughs> we'll know that the oscar nomin you know the oscar campaign is in full force and here. this is all only if the movie is good which at this point none of us know <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's great good. to talk about by oh the way. yeah <laughs> It's barely November. And we've got how many more days do we have before it comes out? But oh, yeah. too many. Sam, can yeah. you get some like R2-D2 sounds and stuff into this for us? <laughs> <laughs> or BB-8, I guess, now. Yeah, got to get with the times. Well, the 13-year-old in me is seriously rooting for it. So. Mm-hmm. And finally, it's time to go big before we go home. And I want all of you guys to tell me right now who you think is going to win Best Director. Richard, I'm going to make you start. Oh, boy. Um, Well, I would love to see J.J. Abrams win just because I'm convinced that Star Wars is going to be amazing and it's going to be the best movie I've ever seen. But I think that, you know, we mentioned him earlier, and, you know, we actually didn't really mention the movie much, but I think David O. Russell, I think this if Joy is good... They've nominated all like the last three of his movies. Like I just feel like this might be the year that they are like, okay, here it is. He gets these great casts together. The movies are propulsive and fun and a little bit meaningful. You know, I, I think that he has a good kind of kind of momentum behind him. Although there are some bigger movies that could swallow Joy up and and you know mean that he has to sit it out again. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to stick with my pick here on goldderby.com, which is uh, Todd Haynes for Carol. I just think that it is a absolutely gorgeously assembled film. Everything about it, the sets, the the acting, the script, the you know, the whole thing works. And he's going to have Harvey Weinstein behind him uh, and they're going to be able to kind of ride some sort of like half lascivious, half-inspiring lesbian narrative. So, I don't know. I think I'm going to go with it. Therese Balavet. Carol. Tell me you know what you're doing. I never did. (laughs) (laughs) Carol. (laughs) Uh, Krista, was that your prediction, too? No, actually. I, I mean, I feel like I'm a little torn because... If you were to talk about a people's director, it would pretty much be split between Tom McCarthy and Todd Haynes. You know, actors love them. They've made great films. Uh, they've been super consistent in their work. Uh, Spotlight is a fantastic movie. Yeah. And it's also, uh, you know, takes on a giant subject, which is the child abuse in the Catholic Church. So I think they're going to have that kind of momentum as well. And he's, and he's beloved as well as Todd Haynes. And I agree with with Mike with the Harvey machine. Uh, And you think about his films and how well realized they are. I mean, it's really, really, it's split for me. I'd be happy if either one of them won. But just to be a contrarian, I'll say Tom McCarthy. Sure. Well, that's what the spirit of the segment is all about, just having Mm -hmm. to pick something. Um, I'm going to go a little off the reservation, maybe, but uh, talk about this weekend's number one box office movie, The Martian, which is still hanging in there as a huge, huge hit. Um, And Ridley Scott, 
Scott, as we were talking about, didn't win the Oscar for Gladiator. Um, and so maybe this is his time. It's a really well-directed movie. Matt Damon's a huge part of the appeal of that. But Ridley Scott does this incredible job of being really spry and directing it and something you wouldn't expect from a director this far along in their career. So I think there's a surprise element in that. This is a long campaign ahead. I think The Martian has some staying power that would be really interesting to see it result in that for Ridley Scott. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. And you can find us all writing about award season and much more at VanityFair.com or in the pages of Vanity Fair if you're Krista. Uh, and you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. Richard? Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S. And Krista? It's Krista Smith. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman, and you can find this and many more great podcasts at panoply.fm. 